Kia ora and welcome to the Have to Travel Show. I am your host Helen Brahms from Cruise Planners and it is my honour today to welcome back John Gunning from Air New Zealand Vacations. And you know that we've had him here a couple of times before. We've talked about New Zealand, we've talked about my 50th birthday trip to New Zealand and this time we are hopping across the Tasman and we're going to be talking about John's home country, Australia. So John, welcome to the show. Welcome back, mate. Thank you very much, Helen. Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into a place that I, I honestly spent 35 years of my life before moving to the States. So it's an area that I know well. I know the rest of the South Pacific well, but I feel like I know, know Australia probably best. You probably know Australia as well as I know New Zealand, so I think we're in good I, hands here. <laughs> I think so. I think that is a very, very good you know, comparison for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, now um, just to remind everybody, you come from just north of Sydney at a place called um, Bathurst. And Bathurst is known, of course, for the street races that they have there every year with the big V8s and everything. So it's a great place to go for those that like the the motor racing. Exactly. Yeah, very close to the Blue Mountains. Yes, and we're going to be talking about the Blue Mountains shortly. But first of all, we're going to touch on Sydney. So we're going to be looking, today we're going to be looking at Sydney, Melbourne, the um, Ayers Rock, otherwise known as Uluru, and Great Barrier, which are four of the main things that I get a lot of questions asked about sorry, main areas that I get a lot of questions asked about. So I figured that would be good for us to cover those topics. And then on another date, we can get you to come back and we can talk about Brisbane and we can talk about Adelaide and Perth at that time as well. So today we're going to start with with Sydney. And Sydney seems to be the main port that most people from the US will fly directly into, even though they can fly into other airports. But also, too, those doing cruises will start from Sydney as well. Um, so... Highlights on Sydney. What's, what are some of the must-sees and do's in Sydney? Well, the common thing is, Helen, when people fly into Sydney, they ask how many days, and I always think you need at least three nights in Sydney to get a little bit of an overview. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, the first place that people know is obviously the bridge. So you have a number yep. of different options uh, with the bridge, of either A, just going and taking some photos, or B, climbing it. And it's just depending on your, I guess, your physical ability, but then also in regards to time uh, constraints. Because climbing the bridge, the standard tour will take about four hours, but you can also do an express climb, which will take about two hours. And then there's another climb as well, which will take you up and over the bridge, but when you get to the top, you actually come underneath the arch. So there's about three different options that you have in regards to climbing the bridge. And just depending on you know what your clients are looking for or what you're looking for yourself, it's something that we can sort of give you ideas of. I've been lucky enough now to have done all three climbs, so I can give you sort of really good insights into you know uh, the difference. The, the recent one I did was just the uh, express climb. Uh, reason okay, because I was just about to ask you which one, which one you did this time when you were over there earlier this year. Mm. Yeah, the express climb. And people, when you think express, I wouldn't feel like you're running. It just means what happens is with the express climb is that they actually have a lot more people helping you set up. So uh, when you're getting your overalls on and your harness, it it makes it a lot quicker there. You only probably spend a little bit less time on the bridge to the extended time uh, if you do the longer climb. So it's not so much that you're rushing through the bridge experience. They've just got more people on board to help you at the front and the back end uh, of your tour on the bridge. But regardless of what tour you do, the scenery is amazing. And it's also Mm -hmm. very important to lock in on what time of day that you want to go to because there's a number of different options as well. Uh, being sunrise, obviously daytime, and then also sunset slash twilight as well. Oh, those would be great times. And um, I know that Sydney looks absolutely stunning at night with all the lights on and everything else too. So getting into that twilight in the evening when the lights are just starting to come on would look absolutely magical. 
and spectacular. Yeah, everybody comes back who's, who's done the bridge climb, they always go, oh, it's great, I can't believe I was umming and ahhing and maybe doing it all. Some people we do have, that's the first thing they put into the itinerary because I guess with Australia, everybody knows the Sydney Harbour Bridge and everybody knows the Sydney Opera House as well. So mm-hmm. they're the two things that you know are very much iconic and also nearly included in some aspect into an itinerary, be it climbing the bridge or just going across and getting some photos or having a look around. Uh, you know, it, it, there is a little bit of ability required to climb, and you do need to be, you know, of a, a physical level. Uh, but something that everybody can do is obviously go and visit the Opera House, and we have a number of different yes. options there as well. Were you lucky enough the to go to the Opera is, House? The Opera House is phenomenal. I mean, the story behind the building of the Opera House, the acoustics in that place, it is just absolutely um, spectacular. I have not seen a show there. I've only done the the, the tour through there, but they actually had somebody who. Um, what did they do? I can't. I know they they did like a musical thing on their forest. I can't remember if someone was actually playing or they did a recording. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's been a while since I've been through there. But the my, acoustics my, in that place was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of blows you away when you get inside there because to give people an idea, people obviously think Opera House, but they do a number of different things. They've held World Championship Wrestling in there. They do a number yep. of different plays. My wife, when she first came down to the to Australia, she went and watched the Jerry Springer show there. So oh, really? Gives, <laughs> yeah, it was a play. It was a play of Jerry Springer, but that was what she saw when she was there. It was one night only. So it's not all about opera and ballet. It has a broad spectrum of activities and tours as well. There's a most popular tour that we have people doing is the probably an hour to an hour and a half tour where they go through and mm-hmm. they take you through... The opera, they take you through where the ballet stages are, they take you into where weddings are hosted, and they give you a really, really good overview and an understanding of the opera house, especially for those people who don't have an opportunity to go and see a performance. These tours are running on the hour, which we can we can help you and your clients uh, get set up. Absolutely, and they are just, they. I mean, the tour guides there are just, give, I mean, even though they, they probably tell the same stories over and over and over many times throughout the day, they make it sound like it's the first time they're ever telling that story. Even though and, they, and they have a passion about it. That before. It, they yeah, it's, yeah, it's not a job to them. It's, it's it's a love because it's something that they, you know, they've they're, they're developing and it's a passion and and it's always changing a little bit as well because they're always, I'd say, not re- renovating the opera house, but they're always doing little touches to it to improve it that you wouldn't see mm-hmm. from the outside. But getting someone inside telling you about it really adds to the stories of the opera house. Yeah. And they give you they give you the history behind it, how it was built, some of the challenges that were faced while it was being built, and all that as well too. So, um, so not only do you get to see this, and inside is absolutely gorgeous. It's just stunning inside. Um, not only do you get to um, see this beautiful place, but you get to hear the the music being played in there. So you get that acoustics. But of course, my favourite thing was the ballet rooms because I'm I'm just I just love dance. I could sit and watch dance for hours. It doesn't matter what type of dance, I could watch it for hours. Um, so yeah, I kind of had to be dragged out of that room. Um. Well, next time we go down, we might have to get you up on the stage, you know. Oh no, 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 no! I no? watch, not perform. Okay. That was enough. back Fair in my enough. that was back many years ago when I was in high school that I did dance on stage. Um, yes. Yeah, Rainbow one thing Connection we... by Kermit the Frog. Oh, seriously? That was my dance. Seriously, I okay. did a dance to that. Yes. 
Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, we do find a lot of people when they're doing the trip, what we do include is a tasting platter. They have this beautiful little restaurant there right at the Opera House. So when you finish, you do your tour, and then you come down and you get the beautiful views looking over the harbour, looking back towards the Harbour Bridge, the Opera House, and they do a little nice little tasting platter. So it just makes for a perfect, you know, realistically, about two, two and a half hours. You might want to grab a nice little glass of champagne or white wine or just a, a Coke or something along those lines. It just makes it for a really good, you know, half-day activity tasting platter uh, in combination with the tour of the Opera House. And a lot of people may even do the bridge in the morning. So there's a perfect day with all in walking distance as well. Absolutely. And then, of course, between the two, you've got the Rocks, which Correct. is a big historical area of, um, of Sydney. Correct, yeah. The, the Rocks is great. The, the good thing about the Rocks is three or four days of the week, just depending on the time of the year, you'll have the markets on there. So you'll be walking down the streets. You'll have all these little boutique little markets where you can buy souvenirs. But they also, something that's really growing in popularity is because this is where Australia started. This is where all the convicts mm -hmm. came, for, came to. That so We actually have an uh, Aboriginal tour there as well, an Aboriginal dreaming tour. So you can have an Aboriginal guide who will take you around the area of the Rocks. So you can learn oh, awesome. the, the ancient past of Australia prior to settlement, you know, realistically 220 years ago, which gives you a really good insight into, I guess, what was there before uh, the Opera House, mm -hmm. what was there before the bridge. Uh, and you know, the guides that do that is obviously they have a passion that is second to none because they're talking about their people and they're talking about their land and the way it's changed and the way they've been able to uh, be immersed into, you know, I guess our Western culture, so to speak, traditional culture. Yeah, because when I was down in the rocks, we just did the, uh, the self-guided walking tour that you can do. They didn't mm -hmm. have the option of doing the Aboriginal tour when I was there. So that would be something I would go back and see because I love hearing about the culture of places. Um, you know, like when I'm in New Zealand, I'm always going to the Tamaki Māori, Māori village, even though I grew up around the Māori people and learning their culture and everything else. But I love taking people there because of the experience. This here, when, I'm in, when I was in Hawaii, I loved getting to know the Hawaiian people and their myths and legends, which surprisingly enough were basically the same as the New Zealand Māori myths and legends. All of those Polynesians have very similar myths and legends. Um, but learning the Aboriginal one, which is a completely different race because they're not the Polynesians, completely different race, they have a whole different way of looking at things, their perspective, their myths, their legends, and everything else. So to be able to, um, to hear them talking about what the Rocks area was like when um, before the Europeans started coming in, then that would be that would be awesome. I would love yeah. to do that. Yeah, no, and it's great. And throughout this, you know, little areas that we're talking about today, it's always good to do a little uh, Aboriginal culture there because you get different stories. Because we are Australia's broken into a tropical zone and a subtropical zone, so the mm -hmm. stories change just because of the way the environment's developed as well. And everyone has their own little beliefs. There's a lot that runs true throughout the whole. Uh, of the history of the Aboriginal people, but different areas do have uh, different uh, ideas and uh, I guess also ways in which they've survived throughout the time because of the diversity of their climate and their ecosystem. Absolutely. Okay, so from the rocks is between the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House, but on the other side of the Opera House we have the, um, the gardens, they've got the Royal Botanical Gardens, the Domain, and um, you were telling me the name of that chair before, which I've totally forgotten already, <laughs> which I have seen. Chair. Mrs. Macquarie's chair, and that's a really cool chair. I mean, it's carved there into the side of the rock. You sit on it, and you've got this gorgeous view um, out over um, the Sydney Harbour and everything too. So it's just it's a magical place to sit. And yeah, that yeah. overlooks that, that fort that was there that protects the harbour as well. Well, that used to. Yeah, and, and that's it's you mentioned that, and that's a great point you bring up. But that area there where that chair is, Ellen, that's actually the most photographed 
spot in all of Australia. More photographs get taken. Seriously? Yeah, because you get the Opera House and you also get the bridge in perfectly into shot and it just opens up the harbour spectacular. Uh, spectacularly so yeah most photographed area in all of Australia and the good thing about that area you can walk around there from the Opera House it's not too far probably yep. three quarters of a mile and it follows the water all the way around or if you're doing a like a hop on hop off on tour bus as well mm-hmm. it's, that's one of the stops around there as well so just depending on uh, the ways in which you want to get around the city and check out the sites there's a number of different options that you can set up for your clients as well yeah it's um I just remember walking through the gardens, walking around that, um, just walking around the waterfront. We just left the opera house and we just followed the waterfront all the way around. And the next thing we knew, we were in the, we were in the gardens. Like you said, it's not that far because you're just strolling along there and you get to see it. In fact, in the um, what was it the second second Mission Impossible movie? Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. had yep. they were all in all around that area, around the domain and the and the botanical gardens there, and around the opera house, around that whole area there. Um, yes. is where some of the stuff of that was shot. So if you want to see what it looks like, go watch Mission Impossible 2, because that will exactly. show you some of it. Spot on, yeah. <laughs> a little bit out in the Blue Mountains. So, yeah, Sydney was very popular in that movie, so it shot Absolutely. very well. Absolutely. Speaking of the Blue Mountains, it's not that far from Sydney either. No, just a couple of hours, about two and a half hours drive or thereabouts. I mean, like any big city, uh, getting out of the yep. city can be, it probably is where a little bit, that's why I say two to two and a half hours, because it can take a little bit of time to get out of the city. But on the way out, Good opportunity to stop off at the Thevedar Wildlife Park, uh, where you can hold koalas, see kangaroos, see all those you know native animals of Australia that people uh, associate with you know the land down under. Obviously, kangaroo and emu being on our uh, coat of arms, but then obviously mm-hmm. you've got the iconic uh, koala as well, which everybody wants to pat and hold when they uh, are in Australia at some point. The thing that surprised me about the koala is that one, it is not a bear; it is actually Correct. a marsupial. And number two is that it looks soft and cuddly, but when I held one, I was surprised at how wiry their fur was. It wasn't soft and cuddly. It was like this, it was it was furry, but it wasn't a soft, cuddly fur. It was sort of like a wiry type of a fur, and that kind of surprised me. Um, well, I mean, when you look at it, it looks like oh, I can just go and cuddle that, and but you can cuddle with them, but they're a little. Not well, as soft I, and cuddly I, as you think. <laughs> no, I, I always the thing I always notice about them, Helen, is the eucalyptus because they're eating the gum leaves, so the eucalyptus yep. leaves basically, you know, twenty hours a day, and just that smell. Mm-hmm. So it's not a bad smell by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what I always always think when I'm uh, close to a koala and them just sitting there and basically relaxing in the trees and, and soaking it up. But that's a great little stop off on the way to the Blue Mountains, and obviously then you travel on from there about an hour and fifteen minutes, an hour and twenty minutes, and you're up in the Blue Mountains. And you've got the beautiful, you know, Blue Mountains of Katoomba opening up in front of you, the areas of Lura, you can do the cable car, uh, arguably the steepest cable car in the whole of the Southern Hemisphere, which takes you down onto the, uh, the, the floor of the mountain structure itself. And there's also cable cars that actually take you out over the top uh, of the area that's known as the Jemison Valley, where you can look out and you can just see these beautiful majestic trees raising uh, from the bottom of the floor, and then also the beautiful rock mountains in and around the region as well, and the Three Sisters, which is what the Blue Mountains is really iconically known for, beautiful rock structure. Now, do they have skiing on the Blue Mountains? Uh, not so much in and around the Blue Mountains. I grew up in that area, and we do get a little bit of snow up there, but we don't have any ski hills. We have to go a little bit further south, uh, about an hour and a okay. half well, south from there. I knew there was skiing, skiing somewhere around Sydney. I just couldn't remember exactly where 
it yeah, was. So I'm not a skier, yeah. so you're not you're not far away at all. I mean, a lot of people do come to Australia because we we have some really good slopes in Australia. Not not as not as high, I guess, as North America, but there's some really good skiing opportunities. Uh, in the, if you're looking at a map, near Canberra is probably the easiest place to point it okay. out without getting really really specific. But halfway between Sydney and Melbourne, so not too far from the Blue Mountains, though. Excellent. Oh, and now we're going to hop back to Sydney because we forgot about the hop-on, hop-off ferry that goes around the harbour and allows you to get on and off at different stops, including the Taronga Zoo, which I absolutely love going there. And just to give people a fair warning, the Taronga Zoo is on a hill, so there is some hill walking involved. But the thing I love the most about Taronga Zoo and remember the most about that is the view from the zoo looking back across the harbour at Sydney. It is a spectacular view. I mean, I don't think there's any really, you know, I said the most photographed area is across uh, at Mrs Macquarie's chair, but to really go to a perspective of the city skyline in line with the Harbour yep. Bridge and the Opera House, you, see, you can't mm -hmm. be in any better position for that type of uh, shot. Uh, and any time you see that classic shot on the internet or anywhere along those lines, looking back over the skyline, you can almost be guaranteed it's taken from over at Taronga Zoo. And there's something just amazing about walking in and around amongst kangaroos, emus, koalas, and then all of a sudden you look over at this city that's only realistically 10 minutes on ferry uh, to the centre yep. of the city, which is the largest in all of Australia so it's, it's a great place and something that I want to mention and a lot of people don't know about this you can actually sleep at the zoo Helen there's a program over there called Royal Overnight North. at the zoo awesome night at the zoo night at the zoo so oh not at the zoo oh yeah, yeah at the zoo at the zoo oh okay yeah so <laughs> maybe we can book you in there for a night over there because it's, it's you get up and you you get into the zoo before everybody in the morning uh, and the views are literally that view that you'd seen looking back out towards the Harbour Bridge and the also uh, the, the skyline. Yeah, it's just, and you'd you have the sun coming up and, oh, that would be spectacular. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah it's, it's, a lot of people don't know about it. Everyone knows, like, has heard of the Taronga Zoo, but not a lot of people know you can sleep over there. It's called Roar and Snore. Roar and Snore. Roar and Snore. They have a Roar and Snore here in um, San Diego as well, their zoo. Oh, do so they? I'm definitely going to check that one out. Yes. Now... Yeah. One of the things that Sydney is also known for is their beaches. Correct, they have correct. Great beaches and surfing down there too. So, and two of the most, um, I guess, the most well-known beaches would be Bondi and Manly. Correct. Yeah, and they're they're quite easily to get to. You can either jump on the ferry to get around to the Manly Beach, and then to get out to Bondi Beach, which is the iconic one, which everybody knows for Australia couple of different options. You can either catch a local bus. Probably the easiest way for someone that's new to uh, or travelling to Sydney mm -hmm. on a limited time is to jump on the hop-on, hop-off bus because it'll take you out there as well. But also, if you want to get a really good overview of the city, we can arrange a full-day tour or half-day tour, which takes you just in and around the city area. And one of those tours includes about two to three hours out of Bondi, which sometimes you can also squeeze in a surf lesson as well if you want to learn to surf. So you've got everything you need there. They get right some there. great waves there at Bondi. Oh, they do, yeah. But, you know, you're looking at probably, you know, two to three metres at some point when the big ones come in, but normally you're probably mm -hmm. looking at about a two-footer or three-footer. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's really a nice area because you can get some nice gentle waves, but at the same time you can do some surfing as well if you'd like to. It's also Excellent. where the famous Surf Life Savings uh, started. So Surf Life is Surf Life Saving uh, there at Bondi Beach. I didn't realise it started there. Hmm, yep, down there. So, yeah, basically people just giving up their weekend to uh, help those who wanted to go for a swim in the ocean. It's probably the easiest way to look at it. Wonderful. Excellent. Well, now we're going to leave Sydney and we're going to travel south 
down to what would be currently my favourite city of Australia, considering the fact I've only been to Sydney and Melbourne and, yeah. Um, so out of the two, Melbourne would be my absolute favourite one, and I guess it's because it is such a melting pot of cultures there. Mm-hmm. And I actually got to I got to live there temporarily for three weeks for work one time. And, okay. Um, so I and I was working on New Zealand hours, so I would start at five o'clock in the morning because it was eight o'clock back in New Zealand, and then I would end at two o'clock in the afternoon. So I then had by the time I got back to my hotel it was around two thirty three o'clock, depending whether I walked or caught the bus. Um, and then I had the afternoon free to do what I needed, what I wanted to do, provided I was back at work at 5 o'clock the next morning. So I got to explore the Central Business District of Melbourne and the parks and just had a phenomenal time. But what I loved was that you could just go a block and you're in little Chinatown, go another block and now you're in little Korea, you know, you're in Koreatown, and then you go over here and you're in little Greek, go over here, you're in little Italy. And so every night I could have food from different areas around the world which was kind of cool to be able to do that. <laughs> and, that and that's one thing. I mean, I, I lived in Sydney for uh, about three uh, years, and then I lived in Melbourne for about uh, 10 years prior to moving to the States. Mm-hmm. And that's what, something I loved about Melbourne because Sydney, as we mentioned, was where the convicts first came to. So it wasn't really designed as a city. It was just designed mm-hmm. as a drop them off and then let's just spread out and build. So beautiful harbour, but the city itself can be a little bit more hard to get around where Melbourne's all structured. It's all on a grid yes. platform. So you can find all those areas very, you know, very easy. Get into your Chinatown, get into Koreatown, get down into your, your South Bank area uh, of Melbourne. And Melbourne is a very user-friendly city in regards to getting around. Mm-hmm. And there's free public transport as well, all in Zone 1. So as you... Oh, uh, they had this tram there, and you're telling me that it's still there, that just mm-hmm. goes around the outskirts of the Central Business District, which is designed for the tourists. And it's free and just get hop on, hop off. And I would, um, sometimes I would leave the office on the other side of the river, walk across to the main train station there, hop onto that tram, and then it would take me and it would drop me off at the end of my street and I had half a block to go to get to my hotel. It was great. And then I could go out, get on that, and it would take me back around. And it would take me to that shopping centre that I was telling you about earlier that's called the Melbourne Central Shopping Centre. And I just loved going into that shopping centre. It was just, I mean, you know, a shopping centre is a shopping centre, but this one... From the outside, it's got this big glass cone, which looks like an ice cream cone that's been turned upside down. And you're like, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, what on earth is that, and why is it there? Um, uh-huh. But then what it had underneath was really cool, because it's got Coop's shot tower. And what a shot tower is, is that how they make the shot that goes into the um, shotgun, I don't know what you call them, bullets, whatever you call mm-hmm. them. Shells, the shot yep. that goes inside the, inside the shells. For the shotgun, okay. and what they did is they used to take the lead and um, the, mul- the sorry the um, melted down lead, and they would drop it in drops from the top of the tower. And by the time it cooled down and it reached the bottom of the tower, it had actually formed these perfectly round balls that they used for the shots in the shotgun shells. Mm. And that just fascinated me, and I just and, loved and going and seeing this. Too. Yeah, Sorry. you told me about that, and I'd never seen that, and I lived there for ten years, so it's, <laughs> you know, it's amazing what you learn about your own city. Oh, absolutely. This is why I, this is why I encourage people to do staycations and go around and explore the areas that they live in. You know, go play tourist in your town for a for a day or two. And the other cool thing at the um, at the shopping centre was they have this big, humongous fob watch that just hangs there. But the cool part is you have to be there on the hour, and the bottom part of the of the of the fob watch drops down, 
and they have this whole marionette thing going on while Walsing Matilda's playing, and then it stops, and then it moves back up into the clock, and you starts again all over at the top of the next hour. Yeah, nice idea. It's it's just, but the rest of it's just a shopping centre. Um, <laughs> but you know, that, it's got something for everybody. You know, if someone wants to go and do a bit of shopping, you can just sit there and you can be entertained for a couple of couple of minutes, or so to speak, on the air. But they always seem to have something going on down around the base of the shot tower as well. Um, I was there one day, and you know, we we're talking about me and loving dance. Yeah. And I was walking around on one of the levels there, and I happened to overlook down to the bottom of where the shot tower is. And they had this dance school set up down there, and they were doing their bar exercises. There was a ballet class. They were doing their bar exercises, and they were just set up down there in the bottom. They just and they weren't putting on a show or anything. They were just doing their bar exercises, going through first position, second position, and all of that sort of stuff, and you know, just yeah. doing basically their practice in their class. And yeah, so I wasn't sure if they were advertising the dance school or what, but I sat there and hung over the edge of the railing for a couple of hours just watching them. <laughs> And that's the thing with Melbourne, there's always something going on. I know at the moment the comedy festival's on down there. So it's just always... Oh, that a, would be fun. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's really is a melting pot uh, for anything, you know what I mean? Be it comedy, uh, be it modern art, uh, be it sport. Now, it's often referred to as the... It's definitely the sports capital of Australia, but arguably it's the mm-hmm. sports capital of the world. And the reason I say that is you have the Australian Open, you also have the Formula uh, Grand Prix, all of the major golf events are held there, such as when the President's Cup's held in the South Pacific. A lot of the time they'll go down to places such as Melbourne. Uh, and obviously we have our traditional football there, AFL football and also uh, cricket as well, for those who want to maybe get a ticket and see an Australian sport, Melbourne's the place to do it. And just so that people know, AFL is the Aussie rules football. and. Correct. um that is a game I have never really understood the rules for, but man, it is fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's like an, yeah, it's just like a social experience. You know, you go to the football, you have a traditional Australian meat pie, uh, and then just watch the football and get a local to explain it to you. There's, n- there's nothing better than a good night out like that, especially if you oh, want to immerse yourself into the culture of the people. Absolutely, and then you've got the big Melbourne cricket ground that's right there for the cricket. And that's yep. like the that's got like the longest boundaries or something on any of the cricket grounds throughout the world or something too, hasn't it? Yeah, it is. It's 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 like a it's like a coliseum for sport. I guess is the easiest way to look yeah. at it. It's just it's majestic. It was where the 1956 uh, Olympics was held as well. Uh, the Commonwealth Games about 10 years ago was held there at the MCG as a as a primary location, I should say. Uh, and it's just yep. one of those stadiums that you know sets itself apart from I guess any other stadium in Australia it's it's iconic in regards to a sporting venue for Australia it's absolutely it's it's a, it's just a great place to go and wander around and right. um and you know speaking you were talking about the comedy show and that the hotel I was staying was on Little Brook Street and there were like five theatres the live stage theatre within walking distance of the hotel and all within the same block yep. and uh, I remember seeing Blood Brothers there and that just that was just a really cool um, musical that I saw there one night. That was my one late night I had, and after that I was like, I can't do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Not when you've got a 5 a.m. start and the show doesn't finish till 10 p.m. <laughs> no, no, it makes it a long day. It makes it a long day. But, yeah. But that's a good um, thing about so Melbourne. Of, you, you, sorry, As you were saying, there's so much to do in the city. So, sorry, Helen. Yeah. That's okay. I was going, we were going to move out of the city, and there's um, those that like steam engines. There's Puffing Billy that goes up into the mountains um, there, which was... That was really cool. I think it was Emerald Lake, which is where we got off and we walked around Emerald Lake and then caught mm-hmm. the train back down again. And that was just a really cool thing. And not only is the steam train, but the carriages were also set up. Um, and so we were in one of those ones that, you know, you open the door and you step in and there's the two bench seats facing each other. 
um, yep. and you're able to hang out the sides and all of that sort of stuff. And um, you look out the train as it's moving along, there's legs sticking out of the windows as, <laughs> as people are sitting there with their, you know, holding on to the rails and stuff. And um, it's, just, it's just a great um, atmosphere to go up. Um, into the mountains on the on the puffing billy, and then coming back again at the end of the day is a little quieter when everybody's a little tired and worn out. But it was a, it was a really good day. Um, yeah. And it's a and great family outing, especially if those were going with children, because out there as well you've got the Hillsville Sanctuary as well, so you can get that mm-hmm. you know that experience with the Australian animals. But it's it's one of those really nice days, as you said, just to relax and just soak up the ancient way of transportation. I guess is probably the easiest way to look at it. So. Absolutely. And then um, if you go further out, you've got um, Phillip Island, which is where they have the Penguin March, which is an experience. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It's, and I mentioned my wife, uh, she'd seen Jerry Springer, but this is her favourite thing to do in Australia, is to go and watch the little penguins come out of the ocean down at Phillip Island. Each night they come up anywhere between 500 and 2,500. Now, I know that's a big difference, but the reason being is it depends on the time of the year, on the mating season. Mm-hmm. That's why the number differs so much. But these little guys come literally out of the water and then they run up onto the beach, they walk past you and then they go up into their little burrows and it's just something you've got to see firsthand. You can watch the YouTube videos, but to be there and see these little guys wander on by you, uh, it certainly blows your mind. <laughs> They're funny. I I remember watching, uh, we were in, um, in Maui one time, went to the aquarium there and they had these different varieties of penguins and just watching the different varieties. And I remember the blue penguins were these cheeky little guys. Yep. And I'm um, just watching them swim around in the water and stuff. They were so funny. And then, but the but the emperor ones were basically just standing there on the sides with their with their beaks up in the air, like we are royalty and we do not associate with anybody else. This it was kind true. of like it's kind of like they were snobbing all the other penguins. Yep. yep. <laughs> <It was laughs> but the little blue ones, they were hilarious. They were fun to watch. Um, yeah. Now you were telling me about arcades. Yes, there's also a great uh, there's a great walking tour that takes you in and behind the arcades and the shopping district inside of Melbourne as well. And as I mentioned, I lived there for 10 years and I learned so much by doing this tour. They took us to these beautiful areas where you get to some of the most uh, delicate and amazing chocolate I've had anywhere in the world. And I'll tell you what, if you're a coffee lover, Melbourne is the place to drink coffee. I'm going to say it's arguably one of the, in the top, Three in the world, I think it's the best, but I'm going to say top three because everyone has their own little favourites. It rivals places in Italy, and that's how good the coffee is in, in Melbourne. You certainly can't go wrong, and you'll experience this uh, on one of the walking tours, the arcades tour, uh, that we can we can help set up uh, along with you, Helen, as well, obviously, uh, moving forward. The, the great thing about Melbourne is on one side of the peninsula, you've got the little penguins, but on the other side, you've got the area that's known as the Great Ocean Road which is just spectacular. It has these uh, beautiful uh, areas where you're just driving along the beachfront, in along uh, the ocean. You've got the 12 apostles. You can do helicopter flights over the top of it. You can go down and swim along the beaches. And it can be a self-drive option. You can do a day tour or you can do it. And I suggest people have a little bit longer. Make it a one, one, uh, two-day, one-night tour because you can stay somewhere along the way, maybe at a place called Apollo Bay or somewhere like that. And you'll also go down past areas such as Torquay, and that's where a lot of the most famous surf brands were invented. Okay. Mm. So that's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really nice day in along the Great Ocean Road, especially for those who want to get out of a city and just want to experience a little bit of nature and do a bit of a self-drive. The Great Ocean Road, you can't go wrong. Excellent. 
Now, I'm going to back you up a little bit because I thought I heard you say something during the arcade tour about chocolate. Correct. You Correct. You're the chocoholic here, so expand, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing. You mean, I, Australia, obviously, our most common chocolate is Cabaret, uh, but in this arcade tour, they actually took us in and behind these little places, and you have these, uh, choc let's call them, chocolate connoisseurs who are making these handmade little chocolates and they are just absolutely delectable. Just, you know, that rich, high-quality chocolate and then they also made up a little milkshake with you and then they swirled it with this chocolate. It was just delectable. And it was, you wouldn't have found it by yourself without doing this, uh, this walking tour because it's down these little hidden arcades and you see people just get there and you can see there's locals there as well. You know it's good when you can tell that people are coming back day in, day out, even though it's not the easiest place to find. Uh, and that's what I, that's what why I suggest get down there, do the walking. I am definitely tour. doing that when I next go back to Melbourne. <laughs> I, I'll let you know. I've got the address. I'd have to have a look it up. I can't even, I live there and I can't even remember exactly what block it's on, but I have got it in my little diary. So I can, if anyone's listening and needs to know, I'll, I'll get it for you before you head down to Melbourne. Thank you. <laughs> and and okay, so now we're okay, so now we're going to get off the chocolate thing because we could do a whole thing on the, just chocolate. We, we um, and something that goes really good with chocolate, so I am told, because I don't drink, is wine. And there's the really good Yarra wines there in Melbourne. Correct. Yeah, and that, that's something you'll find throughout all of Australia, all the major capital cities. There's going to be a vineyard within realistically two hours or below, and one of the most easy to access is out of Melbourne, which is the Yarra Valley, which is out towards uh, towards Puffing Billy, uh, which is touched on earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, it's out in the area known as the Yarra Valley, but it's about an hour to an hour and a half drive to get out there. And there's a number of different wines, you know, really white, white wines we're looking at and there's around this region uh, is what they're known for. But you can find reds in that as well, but your whites is what uh, Melbourne area is, is synonymous with as well. So, you know, like a Chardonnay or something along those lines. Oh, brilliant. So I know people are going to, so we go on the arcade tour, we get these beautiful handmade chocolates, we get buy some to take with us, then the wine lovers will then head out in the, the Yarra Valley to the wineries have these beautiful crisp white wines with these beautiful handmade chocolates. Correct. There's going to be some very happy people on that trip. Uh, <laughs> there is. And the great thing is, if you're travelling with a number of different people, everyone can go off and do this uh, excursion, you know, and then you can mm -hmm. come back and meet. So if you don't drink, you know, you could do the walking and arcade store, as you said, Helen, and then the other guys go out and do a wine tour, and you come back and you can meet it, meet together. So if you are travelling with, you know, four, six, eight people, or however many people, it's certainly something that can be arranged. Melbourne's great for that because it has a number of different options. Yeah, and the and I just yeah, like I said, I just love Melbourne with its with just what's there. I mean, it's it's almost like the cultural capital of Australia um, I that agree. I found because there's just so much going on in there with the sporting events, with the theatres, um, not just not just um, the live theatre as far as plays goes, but music and dance and all of that sort of stuff is in there. All the arts are there as well, and then you've got the beautiful and you don't have to go far out of the city before you get into the beautiful um, scenery that's around Victoria, which is the, um, for those who don't know, is the territory that Melbourne is in. And um, you, know, you can go up on Puffing Bill and you can do the Great Ocean, the Great Ocean Road. You can um, go out to Yarra Valley and do the wineries and that sort of stuff too. So there's so much there that Melbourne offers. You could easily, I would tell people, you know, you can spend your three nights in Sydney, but make sure you spend more in Melbourne. I, I so agree. You need, you need at least three nights in Melbourne as well. 100% behind yeah. you on that. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to leave Melbourne and we're going to go further north, past mm -hmm. Sydney, up. Oh, actually, no, we're going to go inland. 
We're going, we're going to, to go, go northwest. The, we're going to go northwest, and we're going to go to Uluru, which used to be known as Ayers Rock, which is mm-hmm. this, this big red formation that just pops up out of the ground, right there in the middle of the in the middle of the desert. Yeah, it, now it is. I have and not been there. You haven't been there, yeah, and it's. I, I give a really there. quick quick history of it. It was started to be developed about 500 million years ago, and about 150 million years ago. Uh, two plates came together, which was known as the Peterman orogeny, and these plates hit together, and Uluru popped up out of the ground. And one one end is 50 million years older than the other because when it popped out, it came out at 90 degrees. So there's your geology oh. 101 lesson. So it's very interesting place to visit in regards to Aboriginal history, but also in regards to just the way it was created. Excellent. Now I understand too that when you're at Uluru, that there's a couple of really cool things that you can um, experience while you're there. Um, and one of them being, which a lot of my clients like, love to do, is the sounds of silence. Correct. So can you walk us through what the experience, what it is like to experience sounds of silence? Yeah, sound of silence is, is, is a little bit of an upmarket dinner, but it's something I, I would recommend for all your clients when they're out there. The reason being is they pick you up in the afternoon from your resort. doesn't matter which accommodation you're staying at at, at Uluru because they all sit on, on a circular uh, perimeter, so that the, they basically go around and pick you up, and no hotel's more than five minutes from any hotel, so to speak. They pick you up and they take you out just before sunset. They sit you down, you'll have some fine dining experience. So I'm talking, you know, some of the most amazing meat or uh, whatever type of food that you're into that you'll have anywhere in the world. If you want to try kangaroo, a perfect opportunity. There might also be something like emu sausages as well, but they do cater for all dietary requirements. Uh, it is a fine dining experience, so it's white tablecloths, and then you have you know, wine that will be served to you, Australian uh, wines. Uh, you'll have a waiter, and then they'll go through you know, a three- to four-course meal throughout the night, but at the same time, they'll have music playing gently in the, uh, in the background, and as you go through your meal, uh, they'll have different types of entertainment. They'll normally have someone have a bit of a, bit of a chat to you about the, the local area and the indigenous here, uh, mm-hmm. area, but what it's really well known for is as you're sitting there, you look up at the night sky and you won't see stars like this anywhere else in the world because there's no pollution out there. It's just these beautiful stars. And then you'll have an astronomer who will be pointing out to you various constellations depending on the time of the year and then also telling you about the various stars that you can see here in the Southern Hemisphere and specifically there in the the centre of Australia at Uluru. Uh, And you'll be just blown away by the whole night. It takes around about four hours from the time they pick you up to the time you get back. And people just come back and rave about it being out there uh, sitting under the night sky. Yeah, I've had clients that have done the Sound of Silence and they've come back and absolutely loved it. But the thing that got them the most was when they looked up. And I always yeah. tell my people, when you go down to Australia and New Zealand, I say, get out of the cities. And um, it's a lot easier to do it in New Zealand because of the, the um, topography of New Zealand and where the cities and towns are located mm-hmm. than it is to get out of somewhere like Melbourne or Sydney to go and see the night right. skies. Um, uh-huh. But I always tell them, I says, get out of the towns or the cities, and I said, and then look up. And I said, you will see stars like you have never seen before um, in the night sky because up here you've got so much light pollution um, that you, a lot of it is only the strong stars are seen through. You don't get to see all the, all the, the, um, the ones that don't shine as brightly, I guess. Yep, um, no, you, yep. you don't get to see those spires of the Milky Way that you can very definitely see when you're down there. And, of course, every time I go down to New Zealand and Australia, I always have to go out there and I have to look and I have to find my Southern Cross because it's the only place I get to see it. 
Exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's one of those things. People go, oh, can you see this? You go, no, I can't see the Northern Lights, but I can show you the Southern Cross. Uh, you, you certainly yep. can't go. You can't go wrong. Yes. Something else out there in regards to lights, and it's only just on now until the end of March 2017, is what's known as the field of lights. Now, what does that mean? It was set up by a gentleman by the name of Bruce Munro, and there's 50,000 slender stems crowned with frosted glass spheres that are placed out particularly throughout the Australian desert in and around Uluru, and they just light up. It's just an amazing 50, sight. 50,000? 50,000 slender stems, they are, is the way they've explained wow. it. 50,000. And they're just these little globes, and they've been set up, and it just looks absolutely amazing out there in the desert with all the classic red around you, and as the night sky changes, uh, it just lights up these fields. And you'll often see it out the, the depending on what dinner you're doing, you may even be able to see it when you go out to the Sounds of Silence as well. Wow. That yeah. sounds phenomenal. So. It's it's only just been running for the last 12 months, and they've extended it uh, up until the 31st of March 2017. So, uh, so are they going to are they going to repeat that and do it at certain times of the year, or is it just that one time that they're doing it? Uh, I believe at this point it's only the one time because this gentleman Bruce Munro travels around the world and he does these at different okay. iconic places, uh, and they've extended the one out at Uluru because they've just had such. A, an uptake and people have blown away by it, so they've continued it on because they don't want to pack it up, so to speak. But the, it won't stay there forever. Uh, it'll be, I believe, this will be the last time they'll extend it until they move it on, so to speak, to somewhere else. Okay, so people have until March 2017 to go out there and see it. Correct, correct. And, and it's, it's realistically, it's it's worth just going out there to see that. But you know, the reason people go out there is obviously because of Uluru, uh, and then also. Yep. Uh, Katajuda. Now, a lot of people might not know Katajuda, but Katajuda is actually bigger than Uluru, uh, and there's 36 rock-like domes out there in the centre of the desert as well. So there's an opportunity to do native walks in and around these dome-like structures, such areas such as the Walpa Gorge or Valley of the Wing, Winds, uh, but then you also have your traditional walk in and around Uluru. Uh, as yep. well, where you can see rock art paintings. And people often ask Helen about, can I climb Uluru? Because there's always different uh, overviews of Uluru. And the answer mm -hmm. I say to that is it's a yes and a no. The reason being is uh, traditional culture will ask you not to climb it, but the climb is still open, but it can be closed if it's going to be too hot, it's too wet, or it's too windy. So, okay. And we never know any of those factors until the day. So if you do have people yeah. looking at going, the answer is a yes and no in regards to climbing. And there's a number of It just depends factors. on the conditions as to whether or not you'll be able to. Exactly. And there's no way you yeah. can guarantee it because they make a decision on the day. And I, I kid you not, I've been out there in excess of 100 times uh, to Uluru. And sometimes it can just depend on the ranger. If the yeah. ranger thinks it's too windy or he has a feeling, he might close it for the day because it's all about public safety. Absolutely. Okay, so now we're going to go from the hot heart of Australia... Mm -hmm. And we're going to head back out to the um, you know, East Coast. Correct. <laughs> there for a moment. No worries. We're going to head out to the East Coast because just off the East Coast of Australia is the world's largest reef known as Great Barrier Reef. And there is just so much out there that people can explore with scuba diving and snorkeling and glass bottom boats and even some islands out there that they can stay on as well. Yeah, that's the great thing about far north Queensland. Anywhere realistically from uh, an area that's known as the Whitsundays, 
Uh, mm-hmm. So you've got places like Hamilton Island and Hayman Island, which are realistically, you know, these beautiful island destinations where you can just relax, take it easy, maybe do some scuba diving, snorkeling, golfing, sailing. Or, you know, if you want to be a little bit more further afield, you can even do some camping in and around those regions as well, just depending on what your clients are looking for. The, the most mm-hmm. common areas that people obviously go to for the Great Barrier Reef is out of Cairns and areas such as Palm Cove uh, and Port Douglas. So Okay. The, the good thing is if people have a chat to you and they just get a feeling, oh, I want to be in a town of 100,000 people, we can set you up in Cairns. If you want to be on island, we can set you up on the Great Barrier Reef and islands, be it Hamilton, Hayman, you know, other places even as well, such as Dunk Island, Badara Island, Orpheus Island. There's a number of different uh, areas, and it all really depends on what your client's looking at experiencing because we can make sure that we get them out and they see the, the reef in the best element uh, in regards to what they're hoping to uh, achieve on their trip down to the Great Barrier Reef. Now, I've heard that it is absolutely phenomenal to get out there in the water and just to see the different types of fish that are swimming in and around the reef. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't been up there yet. Um, I plan to get up there. I will probably do a glass-bottom boat unless I can get over my fear of water and snorkeling. Um, so I'm probably going to take the chicken's way out and do the glass-bottom boat. That's now. When I actually get there, it may be different. I don't know. Well, if I take you, Helen, I'm getting in the water. The, the good thing about <laughs> the reef is the reef to exist and to survive has to be within about it has to be able to get direct sunlight. So it can't be too deep. So yeah. it's all relatively shallow where the, where the reef is. Obviously, that does change a little bit depending on the tidal movement. But within reason, it's all pretty uh, easy to get to. And the great thing about going to the Great Barrier Reef is that it doesn't matter on what type of person you are. You might be a swimmer or a non-swimmer. There's a number of different options that we have available. We can have tours that go out and they have a number of different flat-bottom boats, semi-submersible boats, Uh, marine biologists who are telling you about that so you really do get the great barrier reef experience but we have other companies that we work with as well which is all about just scuba diving scuba diving scuba diving and then some more scuba diving so it just really depends on what the individual is looking for is something that we can then line up uh, with yourself to ensure that your client gets the best experience to the reef because there is probably about five or six different options and that just all depends on what your client really wants as their experience. Because some people, you know, don't want to be swimming all day. They want to mix it up, and there's a number of different options yeah. for that. Now, that sounds that sounds awesome. I'm just I'm looking forward to the day that I can go there. I just um, hope that I'm over my fear of water by then and am able to snorkel. Because um, there's no way I would, I would scuba dive, but snorkeling, I would definitely give that another try again. Because mm-hmm. when we tried it in the Cook Islands, I wasn't very successful at it. Um, so I'm going to work on that so that I'm able to go um, snorkeling because I would love to see, um, you know, swimming amongst some of these um, fish that that are available that live on the Great Barrier because just of the just to see their colours and um, I guess you can see them from the glass bottom boat, but it's not the same as actually being in the water with them, and that's an experience that I would like to have. Yeah, and there's, I mean, you'll find a lot of the uh, trips that go out, they'll actually get someone in the water with you as well if you don't feel confident. And there's also life rings and life jackets and those sorts of things just to make it an easy experience or easier experience. But, I mean, the Mm -hmm. the whole idea is to make sure that you enjoy your day out there. They don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position, but they'll do everything they can to, you know, coerce you into the water, so to speak. Oh, I have no problem with coercion in those in those situations, as long as I have somebody who knows what they're doing and can actually walk me through the steps. Because it's not so much getting in the water that's the problem; it's putting the head in the water. 
with a yeah. tube coming out of my mouth to breathe on. That's the part that I have the, the problem okay. with. So it's overcoming that portion of it. So um, excellent. So any other advice for those going to the Great Barrier? Uh, yeah, no, just really have a good chat to you, find out what they want to experience, I mean, because, I mean, depending on what time of year you go as well, uh, there's a different factors. you know, I mean, they do have a jellyfish season which people will look at, but that's not something that you need to worry about, you just have to make sure that you plan in advance, so you wear a stinger suit, so, which is just a very thin layer that you put on and you jump in the water, and I've gone into the Great Barrier Reef all year round, and some people say that the waters can be a little bit gentler during that time of the year. So it's one of those factors if you do read about it, because people do read about Australia and all the things that we have down there and they worry a little bit about, you know, mm -hmm. seeing, you know, jellyfish or crocodiles and snakes. And it's one of those things. Uh, it's, you know, it sells by promoting that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is you're going to, as long as you take uh, the recommendations of the crew, you won't have any problems whatsoever. So a trip to the reef, though, can be done realistically anywhere in the north part of uh, Australia along the east coast. So realistically, from an area that's known as uh, Bundaberg, which is just north yep. of Fraser Island, all the way up to Cairns and a little and, and above, uh, we can we can arrange that for you. But the great thing about this part of the area, the Great Barrier Reef region, is there's a number of different options. If you're not a water person, you can head up to the Daintree, which is the oldest rainforest on Earth, which is only an mm -hmm. hour's north uh, drive of Port Douglas and uh, area as well. You've also got some whitewater rafting as well. It's in the top ten rivers in the world to go white water rafting. You've got grade four and grade oh, cool. five rapids. So it's the far north Queensland is a great place. It's a little bit like Queenstown, if I have to give a comparison, okay. in the fact that there's something there for everyone. So if yep. that doesn't interest you, there's something else that you can do. You can do quad biking, you can do horse riding, you can do uh, tours in and around coffee plantations, try tropical fruits, uh, you know, I mean, do scenic drives, visit waterfall circuits. I mean, I, I can really go on. There's some great golf courses up there as well. So it really is a place that people will go to and it's a great destination for everybody because there's something for everyone to do. That is awesome. I love those types of places. Especially yeah, if you're yeah. traveling with multi-generational families, um, exactly. when there's something for everybody, and everybody has so much diverse differences and that sort of stuff as well. Yes, there's yeah. the family things that you can do, but then there's enough that everybody will find something that they want to do and still have a good time. Yeah, and the, the area is big, but it's not it's not like a city. Do you mean Sydney and Melbourne yeah. home to you know four and five million people respectively, give or take? Uh, but Cairns, the region, you know, Cairns is home to about between 100 and 150,000, depending on how many suburbs you include. So yeah. it's big and it has all the modern conveniences, but it realistically only has probably four or five main streets. So you can't get lost, so much to do, and you can either do it close by to your hotel or you can get out and go to the rainforest, go to the reef, as we spoke about. Mm -hmm. So really, <laughs> you know, far north Queensland is, is a winner on every trip to Australia. Now, one of the places that you mentioned very quickly, as you were saying that that it went that the Barrier Reef went from and to, was Bundaberg. Is that the same Bundaberg as in the Bundaberg ginger beer? Correct, Bundaberg ginger beer, Bundaberg rum. Oh. Uh, and Bundaberg that, ginger beer is awesome. Love I that agree. stuff. It's my favourite ginger beer. Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but definitely, if you get a chance. When oh you're no, it's my favourite ginger beer too. Is it? Oh, that's great to yeah. hear. I love. I mean, if I go somewhere and they've got Bundaberg ginger beer, I'm getting some. There's a, down here in San Diego, we have three New Zealand themed restaurants that serve New Zealand style food. Um, mm -hmm. And they serve Bundaberg ginger beer there. And every time we go there, that's, it's not even a question as to what do I want to drink. It's just like, give me some Bundaberg. Give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and I will have my lamb burger with my Bundaberg ginger beer. <laughs> I'm at home. Australian, I'm happy. <laughs> the Australian New Zealand culture right there. Exactly. I mean, you know, we we have our friendly rivalries and everything else going on, but you know, there are things that we do well, and there's things that the Australians do well, and they happen to make a really good ginger beer. This, this is true. This is true. No, so. <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah, Bundaberg is yeah, near Fraser Island, and I, I believe we'll, we'll probably touch this on our, on our next uh, little podcast where we can give you a really mm-hmm. good overview, not of the remote areas, but I guess a lot of people who come back for their second or third trip to Australia will visit places such as Fraser Island, Adelaide, uh, the Kimberley region, Perth, Darwin, and, and those likes as well. But if the great thing about you and I working together, Helen, there's not many places in Australia and New Zealand that we can't give first-hand experience on. That is so true. And, I mean, yeah, so there was today, you gave us a lot of good information, especially on stuff that I hadn't tried before. And, like, I can't wait to go to Uluru. I want to see that Sounds of Silence. I don't think I will make it for the Fields of Lights, though, with all the trips okay. I've got coming up. Um, okay. But that's something that if I've got clients that want to see that, I am definitely going to make sure that they get over there before before March 2017. Um, you know, Great Barrier is another place that I want to do um, just to go see the tropical fish and, and have that experience there at Great Barrier. Um, prefer, preferably in the water with a snorkel mask on and a snorkel too, but we're going to work on that. We're going to work we're, on we're that. We're going to work on it. Tiny steps, tiny steps. <laughs> yes, baby steps. You can get me in the water. That's good. We're, we're good. We can get in the water. It's just putting the head in the water with the tube coming out of my mouth. Um, and goggles and the, and the masks on too. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of great stuff there to see and do, and I can't wait till we get back on because Adelaide, Perth, Darwin, Brisbane are places I haven't been to before, and I would love to go there. I know enough about them to be able to help people plan their trips there and stuff, but I haven't experienced them yet, and so I can't wait to do that, and I can't wait to get you back on another podcast so that we can talk about those places um, because you make them come alive for me too, which is which is just awesome. Um, and I've taken, again, I've taken screeds of notes here again, too, today while we've been doing this podcast. I mean, even when we did the one on New Zealand, I came with pages of notes. I'm like, I know New Zealand really well. Why have I got all these notes? (laughs) It's just little (laughs) things that that got triggered. (laughs) Yeah. You're always always learning, and I'm always happy to to learn things, even about my my own country. But thank you, John, so much for coming on today's show. It has been awesome. Um, learning about Sydney and Melbourne and the Great Barrier Reef and Uluru. Um, those are some amazing places to go and visit. And um, Sydney and Melbourne, you could get, you could visit those on a cruise ship. They could be before a cruise, at the end of a cruise. Um, but then you can always tack on, um, tack on excursions or extra days so that you can go and experience Uluru, you can go experience Great Barrier. Um, so, you know, there's lots of flexibility in there and some great packages that are available too. So, John, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, mate, and coming on the show and, and talking to us about this small portion of Australia. No, no problems at all. It's an honour, and if you moving forward, if you need anything at all, Helen, you know, give me a call. I'd love to be able to help you and your clients. Absolutely. And if you would like to know more about um, travelling down to Australia and, and seeing some of the things that we've spoken about today, just click on the link, go to our, and fill out the form there, and we'll be able to set up a time for you to um, come and see us. The link will be in the description of the podcast as well as in the blog that the podcast is attached to. So until next time, have a great day. Hey, konera.